fascinating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. A absolutely tremendous Thursday to you. I almost didn't know what day it was, but we're almost through the week. And it's the Kale Clark Show. We're having a, a fantastic week on the show. It's just been uh, lovely being with you. And you can call in right now. Keep the party going. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. Toll free to talk to me. You can also email the show. Email is still the preferred communication tool of many people in North America and around the world. And you can email me at kale at relevantradio.com, C-A-L-E at relevantradio.com, and follow me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. Well, it is graduation season, uh, or at least it was very recently. Some graduations are still happening. And I, I want to talk about maybe maybe the best and the worst graduation advice. And it's it's really all in the same sentence. You probably heard, maybe this happened at your commencement speech. The speaker said, be true to yourself. You hear this all the time. Now that can either be really, really good or really, really bad advice, and we'll tell you why. Plus, I'm going to tell you just a wild story about something that's happening at an Ivy League institution, an Ivy League school, where a professor has basically (laughs) tried to turn his classes into a little monastery. And far from being repellent, students can't get enough of this. And I think it has some implications for you and for me. Plus, much, much more on the Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. Hey, our U.S. Open picks. At least some of our picks are looking pretty good, too. We'll talk about that uh, later on very, very briefly. Don't worry, I won't belabor the point. But uh, once again, that number, 888-914-9149. So here's a question I I want to throw out to you, and you can call in right now. Who was your commencement speaker? If you remember this, whether it was high school or whether it was uh, college, university, who was your commencement speaker? Was it anybody well-known? Do you remember anything that was said? Do you remember any of the advice? Was it good advice? Anything you want to share with our listeners, 888-914-9149. If you could go back and give a commencement speech to yourself in high school or university, what would you wish... uh, you could say to yourself back then, 888-914-9149. I read this uh, interesting piece by uh, Kevin DeYoung, who's a theology professor, and he's actually written a book about this. It's kind of a a book of graduation speeches, kind of from a Christian perspective. It's called Do Not Be True to Yourself. And that's kind of where the, where the idea came from. And this is something that you hear a lot in these speeches. Just just go out there, be true to yourself, be true to who you are. And obviously, a lot of the activities of this month, and you know what I'm talking about, That that's they always say things like that. But as Kevin DeYoung says, there's a wrong way to be true to yourself. There's a right way to be true to yourself, but there is also a wrong way. And so the, the familiar mantra, be true to yourself, quote-unquote, often presumes that is equals ought. Is equals ought. What, what does that really mean? That, that your desires, your, who you think you are, who you, who you try to be, what, who you think you want to be, that's what ought to be. That's the way it should be. And that's often inherent in this advice, be true to yourself, that what you desire right now is really what you should have or want. 
But here, here's here's the big problem with that with that mindset, and you can imagine how that can lead to all kinds of uh, permutations and possibilities that are not necessarily um, good for you or for anybody else. Uh, Dr. Kevin DeYoung says the problem with that is there's no doctrine of the fall of humanity. There's no doctrine of original sin. There's no understanding of well. Here's a five dollar word for you: concupiscence. This means that even if, if you've been baptized, even if original sin has been washed away, guess what? The after effects are still there. And you have the tendency to want to commit sin and, and want what you ought not to want. So you, you have to fight against this even post-baptism, even if you're a Christian. So we, we have to struggle against the sinful nature. And this is something that's talked about again and again and again in, in the New Testament. We're kind of drawn towards sin. And what's sin? At the, at the end of the day, it's disordered goods. It's disordered goods. It's wanting maybe the right thing, but at the wrong time, in the wrong place, with the wrong person. It, it's a twisting of what is good, because don't forget, really, really, sin wouldn't exist without freedom, but neither, neither could love. And, and God essentially said to the world, it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. He created his creatures with freedom, and that even extends to the angels. And obviously, as, as Scripture tells us in the book of Revelation, the great dragon, the Satan, well, he started off as, as something very, very attractive. And, and the dragon is really who he is, but he doesn't come to you as a dragon. He doesn't tempt you as a dragon. He doesn't come to you wearing a silly little red cape, uh, horns on his head, and a twirly mustache carrying a pitchfork, it's not going to be that obvious. His temptations to you are going to be actually pretty attractive. St. Paul says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. His temptations are really going to look good. But he can't actually create anything. He doesn't have the power. He was a very powerful angel uh, known as Lucifer, which means the light bearer. Right? No wonder he's an angel of light. Some say he was essentially the music director of heaven, responsible for uh, picking out uh, choir tunes for worship, I guess he could say, in the heavenly throne room. But he fell from grace. He rebelled against God. And the book of Revelation says that the dragon's tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky. And what does that really mean? Essentially, theologians think that means that a third of the angels went with him in his rebellion against God, became fallen angels, became demons. They were created to be good, but became evil because of their free choice. And people often ask the question, could the devil repent? Could he ever uh, get back in God's good graces? The answer is no, because as an eternal creature outside of time, the choices that he, the choice that he made with freedom was an eternal choice. Can't be taken back. We human beings, we live in time, which means that we have time to repent. We can actually change our mind. We can come back to God and thank God for that. Uh, because very often we have to do that. That's what the sacrament of confession is there for. But, but having said that, the temptations he's going to give is to take something good in God's creation because he can't create anything. He just tries to get you to misuse it. Disordered dis-ease. That's what he wants to bring about. He wants to bring about a brokenness, not only in your relationship with God, but in your relationship with others and even within yourself. A dis-ease. That's what sin is. It's a disease. So we've got to counteract that. So he's going to tempt you to use good things in a bad way or in a disordered way. 
and, and this is part of, uh, because of our fallen humanity, this is something we're always going to have to fight against. We have to be cognizant of it. So when people say to you, just be true to yourself, that, that is, um, that's not a good way of looking at things if you're saying that without respect to God, without respect to looking at where these desires that you have within you, where are they coming from? Are they coming from the Holy Spirit, or are they coming from maybe within yourself? You can't always say the devil made you do it or tempted you to it. Very often it's your own desires that you're following, and, and yeah, there can be active temptations from outside as well. So Kevin DeYoung says, really, you could say the great prophet of our age might be Lady Gaga, who said, hey, you're born this way. You should just run with it. Just go with it. No. Well, we've also got to be born again another way, right? And that's what Jesus said to Nicodemus. You've got to be born again of water and the Spirit. And, of course, that's a reference to baptism. It was always interpreted as such in the church uh, until even after the Protestant Reformation. Nobody suggested that this meant uh, some sort of... uh, prayer that you pray to turn your life, which is a good thing to do, to turn your life over to Christ and, and say what's called the sinner's prayer. Not a bad prayer, but uh, that's a reference to baptism, being born again of water and the Spirit. And we know that the baptismal font is it has been called by the church fathers the womb of the church. And just as the Israelites pass through the waters of the Red Sea as if on dry land, we have to pass through, if you will, the baptismal font. We have to pass over and uh, this is how we pass from death to life. This is how we receive the life of God in our souls and, and defeat the enemy, right? And the armies of Egypt that were drowned in the Red Sea are kind of emblematic of the devil and his minions that try to drown us in evil. And it's interesting because in, in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and even in the New, that the sea is always a symbol of evil. It's always a symbol of death, chaos. All the monsters in the book of Revelation come out of the sea, And so really when Jesus was baptized, I'm going to mention this a little bit tomorrow on The Faith Explained, when Jesus is baptized, that's really when he starts his passion. And Pope Benedict eloquently preached about this in his book, Jesus of Nazareth, and he wrote about this, that really when he descended into the waters, that was the beginning of his descending into death. It didn't just start on Holy Thursday. And so the the waters of baptism enable us to enter into the death and resurrection of Christ into new life. So this, this is where, where the phrase actually is right. When you hear maybe in a commencement speech or somewhere else, be true to yourself, there's another sense in which that is true, that we, we have to operate out of what really is our truest self, as, as Kevin DeYoung says. Yeah, we do have indwelling sin. Yeah, we continue to keep sinning. Yes, we need to go back to the well of salvation again and again and again. We need to go back to confession for sure. But we're also called to be who we really are, who we really are by virtue of our baptism. We are all called to be saints. And in the New Testament, of course, uh, St. Paul says this all the time in a whole bunch of different places in his letters. He writes to the Corinthians, to those in Corinth, called to be saints, to those in Rome, called to be saints. And very often he'll refer to them as the saints. Uh, Hey, to say to the saints over here, this, X, Y, Z, so, yes, we are saints uh, incipiently, I guess you could say. We are, we are saints in process, and uh, we, we, we hope to be saved. We are being saved. We can have confidence if we're in a state of grace that, yeah, as long as we don't remove ourselves from that situation by our own freedom, God will make us saints. He can do it. The only question is, are you going to cooperate with him in this? And St. Maria said that, uh, and he was 
taken to task for it. He, he, he said, I will be a saint. And people said, that's so arrogant. I can't, how can you say that? But it wasn't arrogant. It was actually humility. It was actually trusting in God because everyone, everybody misses the next thing that he said as part of the end of the sentence. I will be a saint because God will help me to do it. God will do it in and through me. And so putting ourselves uh, at his disposal is really a big point of it. You're listening to the K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Who was your commencement speaker? What advice did they give you? Anybody we know? Uh, what, what would you have wished to have heard uh, back then? Maybe saved yourselves years of trouble. But at any rate, we've got to, we've got to really become who we are. We are, become the best version of, our, of ourselves. That's really what it means to be a saint. And, and let's face it, when, when Paul was writing to these churches, a lot of them were a mess, uh, the Corinthian church. Anytime you're tempted to think that the early Christians lived in some sort of a golden age where they just sat around and sang kumbaya and everybody loved one another, read the first letter to the Corinthians. And we did a whole series on it on the Faith Explained show called Saints in Sin City. And it was, I mean, Vegas had nothing on Corinth. Let's put it that way. I mean, there was some crazy stuff going on there. And yet, Paul says, you are called to be saints, even in the midst of this messiness. And you don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. You can be a slave to righteousness. You can be set free. You don't have to worship the God of this age, the Satan. You, you can worship, that's small g God, obviously, you can worship the true God, capital G, the true, the only true and living God, not the false gods of the world the world, the flesh, the devil, the sinful nature, the fallen sinful nature. nature. We've got to always fight against that. Those are our three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, like three vipers that rise up against us, as St. Jose Maria used to say. So become who you are and, and understand that you, that's what you've got to live out. And that, that involves a fight. That involves a fight. It doesn't mean just going with the flow. It means you've got to actively fight against sometimes yourself, the temptations from the outside. Christ will help you do it. But that's well worth it. That, that, is, that would actually be really, really good advice. All right. Well, uh, Producer Jim says that his commencement speaker was Raymond Arroyo. How, how about about that? And uh, Patrick Alog, uh, who's taking calls today, he says, actually, Danny Glover, the actor Danny Glover was his commencement speaker. How about that? All right. So uh, he was a lethal weapon, right? So, all right. Well, let me hear about yours, 888-914-9149. I'm going to take a quick break here on Relevant Radio, but when we come back, I'm going to tell you about a wild experiment at an Ivy League school. And you're not going to believe this. The kids loved it. It's turning the university into a monastery. How about that? What can we learn from it? Scale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Clark Show. Have a question? Give Kale a call at 888-914-9149. That's right, 888-914-9149. Let's go to the phones right now. Chris is calling from Brooklyn, New York. Hey, Chris. Hey, how you doing? Doing well. Doing well. Thanks for calling in. I have a question. Um, how sure. does a person become born again? 
Yeah, we, we t- that's a good question. How does a person become born again? And we talked about just in passing uh, before the break. And this comes from, of course, uh, John chapter 3, verse 5. This is uh, Jesus' uh, conversation with Nicodemus. Nick at night, as I like to say, because uh, he was a, uh, a leading figure uh, among the Jews, a teacher. And he didn't want to be seen talking to Jesus in the daytime. You know, he didn't want anybody to, uh, to know yeah, this guy might have something here. So uh, he, he asks him a whole bunch of questions. And in John chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so uh, we Catholics would say that this refers to baptism. This refers to baptism of water, water baptism. And of course, water, any sacrament... And we just did that. We were kind of in the midst of, we're going to finish it up tomorrow, the series on the Holy Spirit in the sacraments. We're doing this on the Faith Explained Show, 1230 Central. When we talked about baptism, really we talked about how this is where uh, we, we are infused with the Holy Spirit. Our sins are washed away if we're baptized as an adult. Not just original sin and its guilt, but actu- all actual sins are washed away in baptism. The old Baltimore Catechism defined a sacrament this way. Oh, I said nice Q&A format. What is a sacrament? Well, it's an outward sign instituted by Christ to give grace. And by grace, we mean the very life of God. And so a lot of uh, modern-day Protestant Christians say that this is just symbolic, that we, we are born again symbolically when we turn our life over to Jesus, ask him to uh, take control, uh, forgive our sins. And it's just a, a way of committing oneself to Christ. But the church fathers, if you read through church history, everyone thought this referred to the sacrament of baptism until Martin Luther began the Protestant Revolution in the 16th century. And even, you know, it took some time even after that for it to be uh, merely seen as symbolic in the Protestant world. But uh, Catholics, also the Orthodox churches of the East, you know, they say, no, it's a real sacrament. And so it, it's, Chris, there's so many church fathers that talk about this. And, and, and this is a great way to know how, how did people see this in the early church? Read what the early fathers wrote, the, the generations that came after the death of the apostles. I'm just going to give you a couple, because we, we could go on and on with this, but St. Justin Martyr, it was just his feast day on June 1st, uh, one of the first well-known apologists, defenders of the faith. Uh, he said this, quote, As many as are persuaded and believe that what we teach and say is true, and undertake to be able to live accordingly, instructed to pray and to entreat God with fasting for the remission of their sins that are past, we pray and fast with them. Then they are brought by us where there is water and are regenerated in the same manner in which we ourselves were regenerated. For in the name of God, the Father, and of our Savior Jesus Christ, and of the Holy Spirit, it talks about this in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Then they receive the washing with water. For Christ also said, unless you are born again, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So he's, he's essentially, he's even using that verse uh, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus saying, you have to be born again. It's a reference to baptism, according to Je- Justin Martyr. And this is how we are regenerated. We're made new, uh, a new person, a new creation in Christ through baptism. So d- does that make sense, Chris? Or do you have more questions about that? No, I, I have a question because I've been reading the Bible for myself, mm-hmm. and I see in Ephesians chapter 2, 
verses 8 and 9, it says that for by grace are you saved through faith and mm-hmm. not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest yep. any man should boast. So, so when you right. talk about that the Protestants do it as a symbolization, mm-hmm. I don't understand that because in First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, it says, for by one spirit, are we all baptized into one body, mm-hmm. whether we are Jews or Gentiles, whether we are bond or free, yep. and we all have been made into to drink into one spirit. So, you know, you speak to, you, you walk out of the Catholic Church and there are people standing on the corner giving out tracts, mm-hmm. you know, giving out those Bible pamphlets. Right. And, and they they go against what I was grew up on, and I'm I'm confused now. Hmm. Well, I would say this, Chris. Uh, that's yes. When you re- when you read some of those verses, uh, maybe at first glance or at first pass, it might look like it's contradicting the Catholic faith. But there's there's one thing in particular, there's one principle, an overarching principle that you've got to keep in mind. And it's this: the Bible is a Catholic book. It was written by members of the Catholic Church. It was canonized by the Catholic Church, where the Catholic Church said, these books are scripture, the word of God, these other books are not. There's a big fight about which books should be in the Bible. That's another story for another day. But the basic principle is this. The Bible is a Catholic book. There's nothing in the Bible that contradicts the Catholic faith, and there's nothing in the Catholic faith that contradicts the Bible. The question is, how do you, how do you understand that? So you might come up against a verse that seems like it contradicts the faith, like the one you quoted from Ephesians, by grace you've been saved through faith. It's it's the gift of God. It's not of works so that no one can boast. Well, that's what the church teaches. The church teaches that nobody has deserved, nobody can earn the grace of what we call initial sanctification. Okay, so when we're baptized and we're made children of God, we don't deserve that. This, this is a gift of God. We can't do it for ourselves. So that this is how we initially get in in relationship with God, and then we have to we have to do our part. He's created us as free beings, and we can walk away from Him, and that's what happens when we commit mortal sin. We break the relationship with God, and so we get it back through confession. Confession has been called the second baptism by some writers because we it's it extends the grace of baptism out through time in the Christian life because God knew that we would need this, and so. Uh, yes, it's God's it's God's grace again, His life that 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 brings us into this relationship with Him and and forgives our sins and and if you read the Gospel of Mark, at the end of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says, "Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved." So it's normally necessary to be baptized to be saved. However, some people aren't actually baptized of water and the Spirit; they don't receive the sacrament of baptism, and sometimes it's not their fault. Uh, let's say somebody's in the RCIA class and they're studying to become a Catholic. They're convinced it's true, and they're supposed to be baptized, scheduled to be baptized at the Easter Vigil, and then they get hit by a truck the week before during Holy Week. Well, what happens to them? Well, there's something called baptism of desire, right? And so the Church says there's really three forms of baptism. There's water in the Spirit. That's the normal way. The second is baptism of desire, and this is somebody who is seeking God, seeking the truth, wants to become obedient to God, and, and maybe just hasn't been taught or doesn't know or hasn't had the opportunity to be baptized yet, but they desire God. They desire the truth. 
And then there's baptism of blood, right? That's martyrdom. So the church has always taught that if you have not been baptized with water and the Spirit, but you give your life, you've shed your blood for the gospel, then that is your baptism. That's a tough way to go, but 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 you can also go into eternal life that way as well. So, so it's important to understand that um, the Bible needs an interpreter, right? Uh, just like a, a, a race car needs a, needs a driver in Formula One. You can't just let it loose. And so this is where the magisterium of the church comes in, the teaching office of the church. So, so when you read those verses, don't, don't let that bother you. Don't let that perturb you. Um, there are answers to your questions. Does, does that help in any way, Chris? Well, you know, once I started reading the Bible, I started to find things that were different in, you know, my understanding, like the Philippian jailer, yep. you know, it's mm-hmm. Paul and Cyrus, what must I do to be saved? And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And I tend to believe now my belief system is that, is that, you know, God isn't, you know, it isn't God's promise to save me if I do my best. I, I, I'm saved because of what Christ did on the cross, those sacraments that you're talking about, the seven sacraments of the church mm-hmm. that I was taught, seems like a work that I have to do. And if we're not saved by works, it seems like a work to me. You know, no, salvation is not a two-way bilateral contract. That wouldn't make it a free gift. So I'm very confused. Yeah, well, I think, I think well, first of all, with respect to the, the Philippian jailer, and that's, that's a, a great account that happened. Paul and Silas, they're in prison in Philippi, and there's a great earthquake. And the Philippian jailer, you got to read the story, but he basically says, what must I do to be saved? And, and you, you got it right. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. But guess, guess what he does right, right after that? The jailer and all his household are baptized. So when, when, when he says believe, you, you got to understand what the word believe means. Believe doesn't simply mean intellectually assenting to something. Like, I, I, I believe that electricity works intellectually or something like that. I believe that gravity exists. No, it, it means that you've actually got to become obedient to. That's what it means when you read the Bible and you read this word believe. It means to become obedient to. And part of the, the plan is baptism. That's it. that's what happens on Pentecost. Peter preaches this great sermon. Everyone's cut to the heart. What do I need to do? Be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. This is for you and your children, and they're all baptized. So it's clearly in the Bible, right? And so, uh, and people will look at the Bible in different ways. If you're, if uh, I went to, uh, I, I'm a revert to the faith, and I went to a Protestant seminary. When I was doing my grad studies, and it was an interdenominational seminary. There were people from all kinds of different backgrounds there. There were people from Baptist congregations. There were Presbyterians. The Presbyterians did infant baptism. Baptists were like, no, you can't do that. It has to be believer's baptism. You can only do it when you're, when you're an adult. Uh, there were Pentecostals there. There were people from the Salvation Army. A lot of people don't know the Salvation Army is a Protestant "Quote unquote church." It's it's a denomination. They didn't bapt. They don't baptize anybody. They don't do baptisms. They don't think it's that important. Apparently, so who's right? They're, all of us were reading the same exact Bible. We all know what the word said on the page, but we all disagreed very much about what it means, what the interpretation was, and the fact of the matter is that everybody reads the Bible through different lenses, through different glasses. You know, the Presbyterians would read it through Presbyterian lenses. The Baptists would read it through Baptist lenses. 
Catholics read them, read the scriptures through Catholic glasses and say, well, what, what's the big deal about the Catholic glasses? Well, they're the original pair because the, the early church was the Catholic church. And when you read, that's why when, the, when you read the fathers of the church, when you see how they interpreted it, they, they, it's all Catholic stuff. They, they believed in all this stuff. They believed in the reality of the Eucharist. Uh, Ignatius of Antioch, he says that the Eucharist is the same flesh that suffered on the cross and that the Father raised again on the third day. So it's realism there. And so there's no evidence of anybody saying that baptism is just a symbol or baptism is important at all until <laughs> more than 16 centuries after the church got going. So I think that that's a big clue, right? I mean, in terms of interpretation of some of these things. Like, again, Ignatius of Antioch, who was his teacher? He was taught by the Apostle John. And John was the guy who knew the guy, right? He, he leaned up against Jesus at the Last Supper, very close to Jesus, right? He was part of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. I think he knew, was probably in a better position to know what Jesus really taught than some guy who comes along 16 centuries later. I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something here, but I but I, I don't think that's the case. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's awesome, Chris. Like, keep reading the scriptures, for sure. Read them, read them, read them. Like, but, but understand that, that the church um, has a perspective. These are church documents. They're written by members of the church. And so any contradictions that you might think are there, they're only apparent. They're only apparent. So just think about that a little bit as, as you go on. And, and I think it's a good thing that, that you're doing for sure. Um, and, and you know what? In some ways... The unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined faith is not worth believing. If you do have those questions, it's, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not a lack of faith to have questions or, or want, want answers to these things. And that, that's, that's part of the reason why we're here on Relevant Radio. So I don't know what you think about that, Chris. But... Can, can you hear me? Yeah, I sure can, yep. Hello? Okay, so all I want to say then is that, you know, to all the people who are listening... You know, this is the most important thing in your life. You know, your soul is the most, mm -hmm. the most, uh, the most that you could have in this whole life. It, it, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul, right? Right. So it's the most important thing in the world. So that's one of the reasons why I started reading the Bible because while I grew up in the Catholic Church and my family mm -hmm. is Catholic, the Catholic Church is not going to be standing for me, standing next to me when it says it is appointed man wants to die and then the judgment. I'm going to be standing in front of Christ. Uh -huh. And when he asks me, why should I let you into heaven? It's not because I was a Catholic. It's because Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And I think your listeners should be more in tune with what they're going to speak to Jesus about than it's not going to, the church isn't going yeah, to be but, there. You're going to be there all alone being judged by Christ. Yeah, but, but you, you got to remember, Chris, what, what did Jesus say in the Gospel of Matthew? He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So when you, you want to know what Jesus said, and you want to be obedient to what Jesus is saying, well, Jesus says, I'm going to build a church. And, and the church that he started has to go back to his time on planet Earth, it has to go back to the time of Christ, and it has to still exist today because he said the gates of hell will not overcome it. So the only one that can really fit the bill is, is the Catholic Church, really. So so when you say that, yeah, you're going to stand before Christ, of course we, we all will. But Christ did not save us as a bunch of individuals or intend for us to to kind of just have these um, 
various communities. I mean, he, anybody who's baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a Christian, but he wants all Christians to be in the church that he founded because it has all the gifts. Like, what, what, I mean, when, when Jesus talks about the Eucharist in the Bible, he says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. So how, how can you manage without that, without that, Chris, like, and live a full Christian life? But it also says, Jesus also says, I am the door. Is he a physical door? Or it's a euphemism, it's, a, it's an allegory yeah. that you have to go through Jesus to get into heaven, no? Well, that, that's, that's what a lot of people say. This is probably worth exploring a little bit, Chris, because there are times in the Gospel of John where Jesus does speak metaphorically. He'll say, I am the door, I am the true vine, and you know, he's not a plant, obviously. So how do we know when he's speaking literally? Well, that, that's a really good question. There, there's a time when his friend Lazarus is, he's died, <laughs> and uh, he says, our friend Lazarus is asleep, and I'm going to go wake him up. And they think, they think he's speaking literally, and they say, hey, Jesus, um, he's sick. If he sleeps, isn't that a good thing? He could probably sleep it off a little bit, gain his strength. And he says, no, no, guys, guys, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. And I'm actually glad that I wasn't there because now you're going to be able to believe. And so then he goes there and he raises him from death. He resuscitates him. So when they omit, when he is speaking symbolically and they misunderstand him, then he corrects them. So when it comes to the Eucharist, I think the Eucharist is pretty important. So they're at the synagogue in Capernaum. You can read this in John chapter 6. And he just hammers away at the Eucharistic realism. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And, and a lot of the disciples walk away. They say, we can't take this anymore. Who, who can take this teaching? How can we eat his flesh and drink his blood? And they walk away. And Jesus didn't say, oh, guys, I was only kidding. I was only speaking symbolically. He lets them go. And, and how do we know that he's speaking literally? Well, again, um, Ignatius of Antioch, great guy, 107 AD. He's martyred for his faith in the Roman Colosseum, thrown to the wild beasts. He says in his letter to Smyrna, in chapter 6, he says, that the Eucharist is this, he said, the false teachers have left the church because they no longer confess that the Eucharist is the flesh of Jesus Christ, the same flesh which suffered for our sins and that the Father and his goodness raised up again on the third day. So he's saying it is the same Jesus. And he knew John. He was taught by John, the same guy who wrote John chapter 6, who's writing all this stuff down. I'd rather trust his interpretation, again, like I said before, than somebody who comes along centuries later. But Chris, we're probably going to, I probably haven't convinced you, um, uh, but I would would just encourage you to maybe do some more research on this. Um, There's some great resources out there on the net that you can look at. Um, And yeah, it's, it's, but it's, I I appreciate your passion and I've been in your shoes before because I, I left the Catholic Church too and I was convinced that it was unbiblical and it was it was wrong and and I was wrong about that. I was wrong about that. I needed to be re-educated about that and and so I just I, I, I pray that you continue on your journey and pray that you consider the claims of the church. I just wanted to say that the Bible says in in Romans chapter eight, unless you have the Holy Spirit, you're none of His. And mm-hmm. so, like I said, I'm not I'm not looking to a church to save me. I'm looking to Jesus Christ to save me, and that's the most important thing in the world to me. I'm not trying to debunk Catholicism, because if it wasn't for Catholicism, I would never know of Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. But the emphasis isn't him hanging on the cross, it's him waking up in Resurrection Sunday. Right, right. 
Well, th- thanks, Chris. I appreciate the call, and and we could probably talk for hours. And and I hope you do 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 call back. And and yeah, a lot of people say that they say, well, you know, why why do you Catholics have crucifixes uh, in every church? And why, don't you know about the resurrection? Well, yeah, of course, but. But the reason why we have the crucifix is because it's the greatest act of love that's ever been seen on the face of the earth. It's a total gift of self, and we always have to be reminded of that. This is what love looks like in a world that's so confused about love, obviously. And, um, yeah, and, and, and St. Augustine said something similar to what you said. I wouldn't even know about you know, the faith if it wasn't for the Catholic Church. And, and so it's important to have the Holy Spirit, but how do you receive the Holy Spirit? At baptism, right? And, and that's a sacrament of the Church. You, you really can't kind of get away from the concept of the church. The Bible talks about the church, right? So um, it, it, can't be, it can't be separated from it. So I would just say that that this is what Jesus, these are helps from heaven that Jesus wants to give you. Why settle for the burger when you can have the full meal deal, right? You can have the shake and the fries as well. Well, Jesus says, yeah, I, I've given you the scriptures, but I also want you to have the sacraments. I also want you to have sacred tradition. I want you to have the worship of the Eucharist. I want you to be able to eat my flesh and drink my blood. I mean, that's the ultimate. You can't get any closer to heaven without dying. It's heaven on earth. That's what the Mass is all about. So, so Chris, man, I, I appreciate the call very much. Uh, we got to take a little break, though. We're up against a break, but but do call back sometime, Chris, in Brooklyn. God bless you. And you can call in, too. 888-914-9149. It's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. Just had a spirited discussion with Chris from Brooklyn. I was maybe questioning some aspects of the Catholic faith and scriptures. And Chris, praying for you, and uh, I know all of our... All of our listeners are as well. well. Let's go back to the phones again, 888-914-9149. Let's go to line five, Verna in Morgan Hill, California. Hi, Verna. Hi, uh, okay, um, I would just like to uh, thank you for um, giving really a good answer for Chris. And um, I, um, you are really a good defender of our faith. You are a godsend, and uh, I know that the wisdom of the Holy Spirit is uh, within you. Sometimes um, people will not uh, take your answers right away, but uh, I know you will just start it, and God will do the rest. I just want to say thank you. Oh, thank thank you for calling, Verna, for your encouragement. Please please pray for me and. Uh, I hope that uh, I was able to help Chris at some level and do some good. And, and yeah, you know, the Holy Spirit does help us when we, uh, very often we get uh, asked a lot of questions about the faith and say, how how can we answer this? And the very first thing we should do is ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Absolutely. And uh, I need help. You need help. We all need help. And, um, and also we need to, we need to study too and, and, and learn more about our faith. Um, And, it really has to be a total uh, human experience of, of head, heart, and hands, and be just engaged, know our faith. We can't love somebody if we don't know who that person is. That's why we need to to study and learn and be formed in the faith, but also live it out. And, and so um, that's the uh, the challenge, right? And uh, it's um, it's it's just a great uh, privilege to be able to to be on Relevant Radio and to be able to share the faith and to be able to talk with all of you and. 
So, Verna, thank, thank you very much for calling in. Please pray for me, and I, I promise that I will pray for you as well. Thank you for that call. All right, I want to go to line four. Uh, Lucian, who's 10 years old, is, is on the line. Hi, Lucian, and you're calling from Whitefield, Maine. Yeah. Um, hi. Hey. I was wondering, where do we get the um, scriptures in the Bible from? Like, where do we find them? Like old yeah. scrolls laying around or something? <laughs> yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of the the, scri- the uh, scriptures started off as being written on scrolls, on papyrus scrolls, for sure. And it's interesting too, because when you read the Bible, you know how there's chapters and verses in, in the books of the Bible. Uh, those were added much later uh, by monks who were copying out the scriptures and. The original text just kind of was just like one continuous text as you as you unfurled the scroll, as it were, and uh, yeah. So there, there's in terms of where the, where the books come from, they started off as various types of literature, right? The Bible isn't so much a book as it is a library of of different kinds of books, and some are books of history. If you look at the Old Testament, some are books of poetry like the Song of Solomon. Uh, some are worship songs of, of ancient Israel, like the Book of Psalms. And there's books of Proverbs, like statements of wisdom and really proverbial statements, you know, oddly enough. And, and then you look at the New Testament, there are the four Gospels, and they are really biographies of the life of Jesus. They're Greco-Roman biographies that were, that's the way people wrote biographies of people in the first century. And then there are personal letters from St. Paul, like the letter to the church at Rome or the letter to the first letter to the Corinthians. And when Paul's writing this stuff, he's not necessarily thinking I'm writing a book that's going to be in the Bible one day and it's going to be considered part of scripture. He's just writing a letter. He's very often just trying to put out a fire. They're, they're, they're acting up and he needs to try to correct them as a good father would. And so the church eventually collected these, these writings and said, when it comes to the New Testament, for sure, the 27 books that make up the New Testament, they said, guess what? The Holy Spirit is really the one who's behind these books. And and the church says that the Holy Spirit is the principal author of Scripture, Lucian, and the human writers are the instrumental authors of Scripture. What, what does that mean? Well, when Paul's writing his letter to the Romans, let's say, He's writing it, he's using his intelligence, he's using his background, he's using his erudition, his, his, his great education that he had as a rabbi, and he's writing this stuff about Jesus, and he doesn't, and God's kind of just superintending the process. God's not putting him in a trance where the Holy Spirit is kind of moving his hand and grabbing the, the quill and, and writing on the papyrus. No, he's doing it himself with full freedom, but the Holy Spirit is superintending the process so that what God wants to get in there got in there. And so the church recognized the the spirit of God and the truth of, of this document. And so the church says, yeah, this is scripture. This is truth. And this uh, testifies to the truth about our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of other books floating around, a lot of other writings in the first few centuries about Jesus, but they didn't make it into the Bible. And uh, basically because they, they weren't really that trustworthy and they some of them came along much later and had all kinds of fanciful stories, like the infancy gospels of Jesus that said that he would turn bullies into stone on the playground and things like that, turn <laughs> turn clay birds into real pigeons. And yeah, I mean, the, 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 Jesus didn't didn't do stuff like that. But uh, does that does that help, Lucian? Does that help you to understand it a little bit? Um. Yeah. Thank you. I feel like Paul 
I feel like Paul's sentences um, dragged on a lot, and <laughs> my mother was telling me, like, he's just got a lot of say. He's got to put it all out at once. And, yeah. yeah. You know, Lucian, it's funny that you say that because you're, you're in good company. You know who else said Paul's hard to understand? The first pope, St. Peter. St. Peter. St. <laughs> Peter himself in the Bible. He said, hey, Paul's writings contain some stuff that's, that's hard to understand. And sometimes people take it and they twist his words and they try to make him say a whole bunch of stuff that he didn't really say. But he, even St. Even Peter said, Paul's pretty deep and I don't always quite get it, maybe. And I have to work hard at it. And so uh, you're in good company there. But Paul was brilliant. Um, and he's well worth the time when you read his letters, especially as you get older. The older we get, we can understand more and more. And so... Uh, a lot of people say if they were stranded on a desert island, what's the one book of the Bible that they would want to have with them? A lot of people say it's St. Paul's letter to the Romans because it's just so deep. There's so much great theology there. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what you would say to that, Lucian. What's your favorite book in the Bible? Let me know. Oh, I really like the Gospels. <laughs> yeah, me too. What's your favorite Gospel? Hmm. Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> it's a, it's a tough all, one. They're, yeah, they're all so good. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to um, choose among them, right? Well, maybe yeah, John or Luke. John or Luke. Well, that you can't go wrong either way. And sometimes as we go through life, we change. I know that I used to love John the best. I still love John, but now I'm kind of a Mark guy. Um, but I love them all. I love them all because... Um, we always learn more about Jesus when, when we read them. You know, it's funny, St. Jose Maria used to say, you know, it's good to read the Gospels because then you can have the life of Jesus playing in your mind like a movie all the time. You can kind of go back to it. And uh, when you have a problem, you can say, hey, what would Jesus do in this situation? I know. It's kind of like something that happened in the Gospel, and it can help you that way. That's how God can help you at times. So, hey, Lucian, thanks for listening to the show, and thanks for calling. Call back any time. That was a great phone call. All right, Lucian, I think he's gone now. He was in Whitefield, Maine. That was really cool. He's 10 years old. Man, he's already a pretty profound Bible scholar from what I can gather. You're listening to The K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149 is the number to call. Let's go to Julie in Mesa, Arizona. Hi, Julie. Hi there. Thanks for speaking with me. Um, my question for you, and I don't really know if it's a question, but... Exactly. You know how you're supposed to turn the other cheek. Well, sometimes mm -hmm. it's like there's just not enough cheek to turn. And are <laughs> there any scriptures that actually tell us when it's okay to speak up, stand up for ourselves? I mean, what triggered this? Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what triggered this was, you know, sometimes people that kind of are your friends, they'll say things in a sarcastic way. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of cutting, and you don't know how to take it. And yeah. and I know darn well that somebody's cutting me down in a curveball way, and I just kind of take it and I walk away or whatnot. But when is it okay, or is it ever okay to confront that, or do you just walk away and no and no God's going to take care of it? You see, I, I'm just yeah. That's 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 a good question. I I think it's a it's a difficult question at times to answer. Um, I'll tell you, maybe this probably won't help, but it's a, it's a bit of a funny joke. I, I come from an Irish background, and I heard about an Irish preacher once that got in a street fight, and he got socked in the jaw. This guy just hit him in an alleyway, 
And he said, hit me again. So he hit him again, and he said, the Bible says you only have to turn the cheek, the other cheek once. So then he, then he got in a big scrap with him. I, I'm not saying to do that. <laughs> but but uh, in terms of verses standing up for, for, in terms of standing up for yourself, I'd have to give that a little bit of thought. But one, one thing that's certainly true is that we, we all have dignity, um, human dignity. And, and, and this is so much of what our Catholic faith is all about, the dignity of the human person. And so if somebody is intentionally disrespecting you and, and maybe being sarcastic uh, with you. And uh, that's that's something that you should maybe call this person out on. And maybe they don't realize that they're doing it, but uh, if your friendship's going to be real and, and persist, then uh, there, there needs to be respect there, of course. And so I would certainly uh, uh, not let that pass. Maybe, you know, give them a pass maybe the first time, but if it keeps happening again and again, then there's clearly a pattern, right? And uh, so there may, there may be some issues there, and I would just, um, it's not always super clear how to, how to deal with it. It depends on the person, uh, but I would certainly raise it, um, because respect is the, is the foundation of any, of any true friendship, I, I would think. Does that make sense, Julie? Does that a neighbor, not really a friend. It, it oh, does. it's a neighbor, it's, okay. Um, yeah. yeah, it's not necessarily a friend, but it's somebody who, you know, you're in the same area with, and, you know. I just gotcha. wondered if there was anything that talked about self-esteem because I know it's real important. And anyway, okay. Yeah, I, well. But well, hey, I, I'll have to give that a little bit, a little bit more thought. But it's a, it's a good question to raise, and I appreciate that so much, Julie. That's that's great. Thank you for that call, Julie. I'll pray for for wisdom for you as well in your situation, uh, Julie in Mesa, Arizona. Um, hey, we're almost out of time here. Mike in Providence, that's a good question that you're asking. I see you on the line. Mike, can you call back tomorrow? Because uh, that's, uh, that's a really important question. I want to get you in there. But uh, my wife is always on my case. You're always taking calls when there's only a minute or so left to do that you can't get to it. I, I, try to, I try to get everybody in there, and sometimes I bite off more than I can chew. So I'm learning. I'm learning. We're all learning. We're all on the journey together uh, as we journey towards Christ. We're all on a journey from con- from conception to Christ. And so uh, let's make the most of it together. This has been the Kale Clark Show. Jim Shaper produced. Patrick Alog took your phone calls. Hey, stay tuned. Lots of great stuff coming up on Relevant. Trending with Tim Marie's coming up and the Family Rosary across America. And Jim, by the way, you're, you're kind of a prophet. You picked this guy named Jacob Solomon as your dark horse in the U.S. Open, and he's in seventh place. He was leading the tournament for a little while. Hey, Very biblical. You never know. He had the wisdom of Solomon, and he's wrestling with the field and the course, just like Jacob. How about that? All right. My dark horse is in first place. I don't want to brag or anything, but anyways, we'll see you guys tomorrow. Take care. God bless. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.